if you have the mindset that you want everything laid out for you, you're not going to take the hard road. No one really says, you know, I, if I can get from A to B really easy, I mean, no one's going to say, well, I'm going to drive around this circuitous route. But you know what? It's a road less traveled. You know, it's all about the road less traveled. And that's really what makes life interesting. Hi, this is Dr. Raghu Athre with Athre Plastic Surgery and Med Spa here in Houston, Texas, welcoming you to another episode of Plastic Surgery Unplugged. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Gregory Buford, a plastic surgeon from Denver, Colorado. So we have a whole list of questions that I'd love to discuss with Dr. Buford, and we shall see if we get through it or we end up going off topic as we usually do. So welcome. Come on in, listen to our podcast and things that you've always wanted to know and some of our thoughts as plastic surgeons coming to you without a filter. Howdy. How are you? Sorry, I'm a little more casual. <laughs> oh, today was uh, today was clinic day for me. So it's, it, it comes with the territory. All right. So first of all, tell everybody out there, whoever's listening, because uh, who you are, where your practice is, and kind of what you like to do. Perfect. Yeah, so my name is uh, Greg Buford. I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon here in Denver, Colorado. I've been doing this for uh, actually just going on about 20 years, as you can tell from the, uh, the gray over here. Um, I'm a nationally uh, recognized K KOL, which is a key opinion leader within the aesthetic space. And so I've had the opportunity to speak literally cross-country, around the world. Um, I'm the author of three books. Um, God, what else here? Um, I'm the founder of uh, not only my practice, Beauty by Buford, uh, which is a 100% uh, aesthetic practice focusing on breast and body procedures, as well as uh, 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 high volume facial, facial injectables. Um, I'm also to the founder of what we uh, refer to as uh, Katie or uh, Core Aesthetics Training Institute. So that's a training institute for uh, facial injectables, uh, for vaser technology, which is uh, ultrasonic liposuction, as well as Renuvion. Uh, so just built out a new office uh, when everyone was kind of seeking cover during COVID. I decided, hey, what's the riskiest thing I could do? Let's buy some real estate. <laughs> you know? I figured if the, if the world was going to come crashing down around me, uh, you know, hey, what's, I mean, you know, what more could go wrong if I'm going to go bankrupt? I might as well, might as well do it with it with a couple extra zeros of debt to my name. And so I go out in style, right? And go out in style. Exactly. So, so yeah, so now I have a new office. But, so yeah. I, I'm in the same boat. So uh, yeah, nice. so I, I hear you. So I'm actually, I'm building out a new office with a attached surgery center and uh it, it's the biggest headache. I think I've gotten a few more gray hairs just from that, just from the design process, but it is what it is, you know? And I think COVID, um, it gave you the opportunity to kind of focus your business in certain ways and your practice in certain ways. And then at the same note, you know, I sent in for permits and that was several months ago. And the response I get back is, oh, it'll happen. We're behind because of COVID. So, you know, it's kind of the standard excuse you know I, I feel for you it's it's uh you know it's crazy because with with all the uh supply chain shortages and everything like that I mean you know building out anything right now is really a challenge but you know is there really ever a good time to build anything out no I mean you yeah. just have to you really have to you know actually you touched upon something I'm going to go back on is you know I think not that anyone wishes to have COVID you know or not right. to have COVID but to to go through the COVID experience but 
I think, you know, in many ways, what it offered a lot of us is to reset. And it gave us a little bit of a sabbatical, whether we wanted it or not. You know, during the time we were actually shut down for about two months, I went through and literally revamped protocols, processes. I mean, I kind of look at my business, you know, from a from a completely different light. And I, and I looked at it from the light of um, not, you know, uh, you know, how can I improve the practice? But what is the, what is the new practice at post-COVID look like? Because it's all like 9-11. I mean, after 9-11, you know, the number one question and the same thing people are asking about COVID, when are we going to go back to normal? Ladies and gentlemen, we're never going back to normal. Right. I mean, it, life has changed. I mean, but you know, not all of it's bad. I think we, we've, we've revealed some processes that were probably very archaic, ways that we did business before, ways that we interacted before that really did, did need to change. And so this was kind of the big shakeup. And so instead of it looking at it as a shakedown, it's a shakeup. Mm-hmm. So it's really a refiner and something that uh, causes, motivated us to really think about what we do and, and how can we revolutionize that? moving forward. And that's, if you look at successful companies, I'm a, I'm a big fan of business. I really, uh, I wrote a book on business called Beauty and the Business. Uh, uh, well, a few years ago, it was actually 11 years ago, but, uh, and then did some classes at Kellogg, big plug for that. There's a program, anyone watching that's a physician, uh, there's a, there's a program out there called Physician CEO. It's a mini MBA. It is one of the best things I ever did. Mm-hmm. That made me look at my business and my practice in an entirely different manner. But flash, you know, fast forward to, to COVID, we, I had the time to basically sit down and say, you know what, what am I doing? And what is, what, where's the fat in my practice? Where can I trim? Right. And where also too, do I need to maybe spend more money and, and become, you know, a little bit more aggressive? And, and I really did change a lot of those things. So, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's not, you know, tough times like those, no one wishes upon themselves, but those are times of the greatest change. And that's really where change occurs. And without change, you don't move forward. You're, you're basically treading water. You're, you're standing still. Right. It's like, well, what's the, uh, there's a, there's a saying, right? When times get tough, the tough get going. Right. Uh, right. You, gotta, you have to figure it out. Sink or swim. Right. Yeah. Right. That and a lot of Tito's. <laughs> True. So what is it? What's the one thing you love to do? Like, so um, you said you do a lot of breast and body work. Uh, a lot of high volume facial injectables. What is the one thing if I said, hey, um, number one on the list? I'd say probably what I'm what I'm known for. I mean, I again, I do a lot of facial injectables, you know, and I, I love teaching and so forth. But I think if you had to look surgical, you know, we can talk about surgical, non-surgical. Surgery wise, I'd say probably my number one thing that I really enjoy doing are the challenging breast cases. So I do I do a lot of breast enhancement. You know, I do primary, primary being obviously new, you know, augmentations, lift, reduction, what have you. But I also see a lot of patients from across the country for breast uh, revision. Those are challenging cases. Those are the cases I know, you you know, as a fellow surgeon, you know this. Oh, yeah. Uh, Those are the cases that, I mean, you can read all you want, but it it ain't in the books. I mean, a lot of times we're flying by the seat of our pants thinking, Okay, let's see. I did. I had a similar case to this, you know, a, a couple months ago, and that this worked. Let me try this, and that's really where you push yourself. You know, again, unless you're really tested, you you kind of develop a little sense of. Uh, uh, well, let's just say this: consistency is nice, but it doesn't foster development. It doesn't foster creation. You right. know, it's really when you shake it up, and and I, I'm sure you can probably remember 
times that you've been in the OR and you're like, what the hell? I mean, I haven't seen anything like this. I mean, what do I do now? That's really where that separates the men from the boys. It really is. I mean, that's really where you, where you come up with new techniques, new approaches, and that's really where the creativity begins. And so that, that's probably where I, where I really like spending a lot of my time. So one of the things I'm known for is revision nasal surgery. I do a lot of revision rhinoplasty. So I can relate to the, the revision thing. And what I think is that when you go through training, um, training is the main purpose of training is to keep you safe. Um, right. It gives you a guidelines of things to do that keep you safe. And your real learning happens when you start doing these cases. And I think that there's a group of people that they don't really like doing those cases because it is challenging and mm -hmm. you can't guarantee 100% excellent results every single time. You, you keep aiming for it and you get closer and closer, but it's, it's almost the, the non-tangible. Right. And, um, and that's what, and I think that there's the skill sets that you learn. So there's the surgical skill set but there is the skill set of thinking outside the box. Um, and I, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. I really think as time goes on, I really think that the number of people who have this outside box thinking is actually going down. Um, and I was looking at my kids the other day and you remember Legos, right? Oh God, I was raised on Legos. Legos exactly. are Legos. <laughs> but so was I. But when we had Legos, there were no instruction manuals. Right. You got a bucket and you had to design and build whatever was in your imagination. And you'd always have a piece missing or something that you wanted and, and you had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And today, these Lego sets are freaking amazing, right? They have the Titanic and they have the Taj Mahal. And so people go, oh, my kid does Legos. But my question is, can you do the Legos with just a bucket and not with the instruction manual? Right. And right. I think the number of people are kind of going that, are, that can do this without the instruction manual are going down. So that's my opinion. No, you know what? It's actually it's actually funny. I never thought of it like that way. But it's um, I, I think that, you know, the not to, to bash on millennials. Really, I mean, that's just that's just way too easy. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it's. But I, I think you're right, though. I mean, you know, a lot of people want a want a templated uh, lifestyle. They want to know that, you know, it's it's nine to five. It's this, you know, everything's secure and so forth. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not life. I mean, that's not or that's that's at least not life that's fun. I mean, life is meant to have its ups and downs, its changes, uh, its challenges. Um, you know, I gave uh, a couple of years ago. I was I was really I went to UC San Diego uh, as an undergraduate. We all call it big, big shout out to UCSD. Uh, so a couple of years ago, I was actually asked to give the commencement address 2018 to Ravel College. So I spoke in front of about six, 7,000 people. Um, and I talked about how change is really the best thing that can ever happen to you in life. I mean, it's when you go from A to B, you pivot B to B prime, you go to B prime to C, and you make all these changes. You learn about yourself, you learn about everything around you. But most importantly, you figure out what it is you want to do. Think about, you know, think about companies because we, we run companies again, back to business, you know, think about Amazon. Bezos did not start out, you know, creating Amazon as anything more than just the ability to sell books. 
Right. And look what it is now. I mean, it's a grocery store. It's an online. Good Lord. I mean, you know, when I travel internationally and I want to get something, you know, you know, crazy spice or something like that, I go on Amazon and I'm like, yep, it's on there. I can get it from wherever. You know, I order my, uh, my, my tea from Japan, my Encha tea, you know, and I get it on Amazon. Right. So, I mean, it's crazy, but, you know, it's really about those challenges. And again, I think, you know, I think you really hit on a good point is that, you know, having something templated, if you have the mindset that you want everything laid out for you, um, you're not going to take the hard road. I mean, no one really says, you know, I, if I can get from A to B really easy, I mean, no one's going to say, well, I'm going to drive around this circuitous route. But you know what? It's a road less traveled. You know, it's all about the road less traveled. And that's really what makes life interesting. And there's value in it. Okay. Right. So this was my, you, you hit the nail. This was my dinner conversation two days ago. So when you and I were kids and we had a project in school, right? Mm -hmm. So you get this open-ended thing. Okay. I want you to find out about God knows what. It doesn't really matter. First of all, the vast majority of us probably did not have access to the most up-to-date encyclopedia at home. Okay, you probably had maybe if you were upper middle class, you may have had a set of encyclopedias, maybe 10 or 12 years out. That was your first starting point to get information. Mm -hmm. Anything more than that, which probably got you through about fifth or sixth grade. But if you, after that, you had to go to the library. Mom and dad had to drop you off at the library mm -hmm. and you go through the card catalog and the little microfiche and all that kind of stuff. You realize that most of the viewers don't even know what a card catalog is now. Exactly. <laughs> And so you would gather all these books, right? So you go through the catalog, figure out all these books, and you'd go and pull them off the shelf, and you get about 15 or 20 books. And then you have to go through the books to figure out what it is, the information you're getting, and then you go Xerox it. So it's kind of like I look at it as walking to the door. You want the information, but you kind of have to walk all the way around all these different points to finally get the information that you need. And there was value in that because it, first of all, it taught you how to, first of all, be more direct at your information getting. Mm -hmm. There was knowledge that you got as you wandered through these points. Right. right. Today, I can get anything I want in one keystroke click. Right. But the, the disadvantage to that is, I mean, for you and I who've had the, the, the luxury of doing the other way, we're like, wow, this is so cool. Right. Right. But we still have the idea to go get information. But right. if all you know is this, that journey of walking around to get there is completely lost. And it's, it's not something that's reproducible. I think I'm going to add to that because I, I, I agree with all your points. I mean, I think that's, that's very, very succinct in terms of how you wrap that up. It's, you know, it's getting, it's getting an answer. It's learning. It's not only getting the answer. That's not ultimately the, you know, the end point. It's the journey. It's creating a mindset, a problem-solving mindset. And I, mm -hmm. You know, the thing that I fear, I'm, I'm going to sound like a grandpa here. Well, you know, the good old days. Um, you know, having, having to look through that and having to actually search. And, you know, and like you said, I mean, I would go, I lived in the library when I was a little kid. I mean, it was the biggest nerve. I mean, I, that was kind of my second home. But I mean, we didn't have everything online. Now, like you said, in the phone, it's crazy the amount of knowledge. You can be anywhere in the world. I mean, there's there's very few places in the world where you don't have some form of internet access. I mean, you know, I've been down in like jungles and and you know, in an eco resort, 
guess what? There's internet access. There's internet access. You know? And you're sitting there accessing all this information that you would have never had available to you. And which, you know, I think, would I go back to the old days? No, of course not. I like having that readily available information. What I think, though, is going to be crippling to the, the younger generations, though, is, and you alluded to this, and I've talked about this as well, too, is the problem-solving mindset. You know, the ability to say, you know, okay, we have these new ways to make uh, learning easier, more facile. You know, we can navigate quicker. But I mean, when things don't turn out perfectly, we're stuck because we haven't created that mindset. Whereas someone like you and I, that, you know, we remember when we had to do those things, we're like, well, okay, if this doesn't work, then I can go back to an old, older way of doing things or I can navigate around or just, you know, I'll, I'll figure out a different solution. But my concern now is it's a little too easy. And, and again, I'm not hearkening back to, you know, get rid of electricity, get rid of all of that, like, or, you know, you'll hear these old people talking about that. That's not it at all. But what I think, though, is I think that, and again, you, you suggested this, is it's a way of thinking. You know, I think we need to foster a, you know, these challenges. So it's not always so easy because life in and of itself, you start a company, you know, I have a, a lot of my friends are, are entrepreneurs. I mean, they bootstrap their companies, you know, small and large. I mean, and I'll tell you, one of the best things that they will tell you that happened along the way is failure. And I talked about this in my commencement address as well, too. Failure always, you know, to a lot of people signifies that, you know, that you're a loser, that you, you know, that you weren't smart enough. I heard a, um, a hedge fund analyst or a, he or, uh, or a venture capitalist, I'm sorry, uh, from Silicon Valley, you know, one of the larger, larger firms. I can't remember which, which it was, but uh, years ago. And, he, and one of the things that he said is in terms of investing in companies, he always looked for people that had had a company before that had failed, okay? And you think, well, that's stupid. You're investing in losers. No, you haven't, because guess what? They've already made those failures. They've already made those expensive errors, and they might not make them again. So you're actually getting someone at a better value. Right. But the problem is in society, we look at people that have failed as failures. I mean, you know, the, the classic story is Abraham Lincoln. He was a he was a total screw up. I mean, there were so many things that he did wrong. Right. And ultimately, he was, he's remembered as a beloved uh, president. I mean, now, was he the best president? No, he wasn't. But there's a lot of people, if you look at what they did, you know, in time, they, I mean, all we hear about is their successes. We don't hear about how they fell on their face. I mean, whether it was personally or in a business manner, what have you. Now, I don't think as surgeons that we want to be emphasizing to our patients, you know, how much we failed. That's Probably not a good thing, but in reality, though, that is really ultimately an integral part of the learning curve. And, and I think, I mean, that's a learning curve that you can't pay for, you can't buy, you have to experience it. it's hands-on, it's face down, it's tightening the sphincter, it's it's all those kind of things. Exactly. It's a dread of complete failure, but that's what changes you and that's what motivates you and that's what ultimately drives you forward. So you said you really like revision breast surgery. So um what are some of the most common things that you see? I'm sure that there's a lot of, I mean, I know there's a lot of buzz right now about breast implant associated disease. Um, right. You know, that's kind of a big hot button topic. Right. What's your thought, thought on it overall? <laughs> you jump to the most controversial issue right off. I love, I love it. Bring it. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, here's what I would say. I'm probably going to alienate some people and, you know, and, and befriend others, but you know, I, I think that the jury's still out on that. You know, it's, it's something that I was reading an article actually uh, uh, 
uh, what was it? The uh, it was uh, uh, Global Open Papers, and there was a, there was a uh, team in there that actually submitted a paper talking about BII, breast implant illness. You know, and looking at different bacteria, you know, that were on the shelves. Um, you know, looking at a variety of things. I think that it needs to definitely be explored more now. Do I think it's associated with every symptom? Sorry, guys. I, you know, I, I don't. It's kind of like COVID. You know, right. you have a bad day and people go, oh, must be COVID. You know, I, you know, I, I felt tired the other day. Must be the vaccine. Maybe, maybe not. It's the same thing with BII. I mean, I do think there's probably, there are some people that might be genetically predisposed. We think it's maybe associated with biofilms. I think it's a lot more complicated than we really understand. So it's not something that we as a society, when I say society, uh, you know, the plastic surgery society, that we should ignore. I mean, we should definitely embrace it and we should look at it in a, in a very truthful and a very open manner. Yep. Um, should, we, should we accept everything that everybody says on social media? No, no. I mean, I mean the, the internet is rife with a lot of information it's also full of a lot of disinformation as well, too. I mean, I think that, you know, one of, I think one of the biggest challenges that we have, uh, you know, as physicians, I say not just plastic surgeons, but as physicians is, you know, apparently you and I never needed to go to med school because we could just Google everything. So we get patients that come in armed with information slash disinformation slash myths slash voodoo, whatever you want to call it. I mean, and they're very, they're very um, intent on showing you that, you know, they're very educated. And I think it's great for patients to be educated. The problem is there's almost a challenging of the expert. There's a, you know, one of the, probably one of the better books I've read in a long time is, um, I think it's either called Death of the Expert, Death of Expertise. You know, and it's about this notion that now that, you know, that experts shouldn't be looked at, I mean, uh, or shouldn't be respected that, you know, my opinion matters as much as you or, or yours, what have you. I hate to say it, that's not true. I mean, there are experts in fields that are just that. They are experts. You know, I don't, I don't argue with my attorney. I mean, you know, I may read up on some things before we're doing a will just so I can, I can walk in, you know, with a, with a little bit of ground knowledge, a little bit of background. But I mean, if I walked in, Andy would look at me and say, all right, <laughs> go sit out in the waiting room. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all this stuff. I'll call you when I'm done. Same thing with my CPA, same thing with everything, you know. Sometimes we have to recognize that the experts are there. Now, do we always, as experts, we always provide the right advice? No, we don't. Experts can fail. I mean, I mean, we, we've seen this during COVID. There was a lot of, you know, up and downs in terms of dissemination of information from the CDC. I mean, I won't even go into all that, you know, but a lot of information that people were like, well, I thought science was exact. The, the problem is, is that even experts can make mistakes. And we have to recognize that, that, but their batting average is hopefully a hell of a lot better than the non-experts. So I don't even know where I was going with all that, but. So I'm going to, I, I agree with all that and I'm going to add a bit to it. I think it's also, it's an evolution. So the right. more information you have, so I think COVID was a, was a exact, this is a great example. And breast, I think breast implant il illness is, a, is also a great example. As time progresses, we also have more data points. The more right. data points we have, the better the experts are at giving you um, the, the correct path or the, the path that we should travel down. I mean, if you only have, you know, the N of two, you know, it, you're not making a hell of a lot of um, advice 
based on a limited data point. So at the beginning, you know, when the CDC says, hey, you know, do this, I mean, hey, that's based on the best data that we have currently. Right, right. You know? And, you know, as this thing has evolved, and I think, I think breast implant illness is the same way. And, and to, to your point, um, I think as all of us, I mean, you and I have been in practice for several years now. We're not, this is not our first go around at this. I think you get to a certain point where you have a certain amount of confidence where you can tell patients as well, you know, so sometimes, for example, when I put an implant in a patient, when I do a chin implant, you know, 99.9999999, everything goes great. And then there's this one person and they come and they have these weird symptoms and then they go, well, there's another person in Alaska who had these symptoms. Right. Okay, great. That's awesome. I hear you. I understand you. And what my way of dealing with some of this is like, listen, I'm not saying I don't hear you. I'm not saying you're full of crap, but I don't have the logical line to draw that this is what happened. This is what's going on. And this is why you have those symptoms. That little jump is not there. So we have one of two options. You can go through the process and see if the symptoms resolve. If you feel that that's too much for you, we got to take it out and see if the symptoms resolve. Right. One or the other, we got to make a decision. Right. Well, I mean, and ultimately as well too, you know, this is why I always tell patients is, you know, it's your body, it's your body. I mean, you're, you know, you're, if you, unless you come in and you say, you know, and I, I'm sure you've had these patients, I want you to put horns on my head. I want to do something crazy. No, I will I not. I wanted, wanted me to implant whiskers. Oh, did you? She actually wanted implanted whiskers. Nice. She wanted to look like her cat. Yeah, I try. I'll know now to who to refer all my crazy ones to. So I'll uh, I'll get your. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you, it's you know I think it's about um, uh, it's it's about having a thoughtful discussion and being being open to that. But as you pointed out though too, you've got to have enough information. But I think. You know, what ASPS is doing right now is, I think, is, is the mindful approach. They're saying, look, we're not, we're not ignoring you. We're not, you know, we're, you know, we're accepting this, um, but we're going to do it in a fact-based way. You know, we're going to do it and we're going to take the emotions out of it. But like I said, I tell patients, if you think that taking your implants out is going to make you feel better, I mean, it may or may not, you know, I mean, understand that, that it may not. What gets me though is there's a lot of procedures. I mean, a good example is the end block. I mean, that, you know, the end block, there's not a single paper in the literature. Anybody what's watching right now, I challenge you, find a single thoughtful, scientific, peer-reviewed paper that actually shows efficacy. I mean, there's none. There's zero. There's zero. And and okay. the problem is people are coming in and they're getting the procedure, not realizing that there's a lot of risk. Now, if you're above the muscle. You've got more buffer. You know, you can you can do an end block, and I mean, there's not as much risk. If you're below the muscle, what's on that back part is your rib cage. Mm -hmm. You know, and and those of us who have been in you know in that area and we've dissected, that's a very thin area. You know, and so what happens is if you get into that muscle, which I can tell you, having done a ton of capsular revisions, you know, in the thousands, I can tell you it's very easy to do that. I mean, I've had thankfully I've had dropped one lung in my career, just one. But I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's only the anatomy that's there and it's not yeah, that yeah. far away. Right, right. So I, what gets me though is, you know, there's a lot of people that are promoting it. There are a lot of people that are, you know, they're saying, well, you need to do this, you know, you do this. You know, the other thing is the whole mold of the implant. Give me a break. I mean, 
I have taken out literally, I don't know how many, how many thousands of implants, you know, both saline and silicone. Now, silicone, you're not going to see mold in because you know, that's, that's sealed. Right. But saline, I mean, you can see some brown in there from the really older implants. That's betadine. That was, it was the old days when, when physicians were injecting betadine internally with the saline, you know, thinking that if you had a little bit of extrusion of the, the fluid over time and it was providing uh, protection against capsular contracture, there were, you know, dexamethasone, a steroid was, was injected there as well too. But as far as mold in there, I mean, I've never seen one single case of that. And I mean, it's, you know, but again, getting back to BII, there probably is something to that, but it's, the problem is, is separating the, the fact from the fallacy, separating emotion from, from hard science, you know? And the other thing too is, I think we're also a generation where we want answers immediately. You know, we're distraught if we don't sit down and, and you know, say, okay, I'm gonna figure out this problem and 20 minutes later, we have a solution. It doesn't work like that. You mentioned, we need, we need a large end. You know, we need a large sample size to actually make valid conclusions, you know, just by saying, well, I had a friend of a friend who, who did this, therefore, you know, and I'm sure you hear that all the time. Oh, it's yeah. like, well, you know, I know someone. And, and but see, the, and this is kind of now we're going to get into this little, I, I'm going to take the first step on the ice on the lake. Okay. <laughs> so there you I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the, the step on the ice. So that your prior point about the expert is very well taken. And I think part of this also is we are in this society of political correctness where the expert doesn't want to say, I am the damn expert and you are wrong. You know, so like very, to your point, you know, this, this N-block capsulectomy, names are being withheld to protect the innocent, okay? So I know a guy here in Houston, okay? And that's his gig, right? So he drums up. It's like it's like the village drummer that comes in like, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, you know? And he makes a big noise about this. And so everybody rushes in and, you know, he's like, you know, the implant, the capsule is part of the problem. I got to whack it all out. And all these people are thinking they've done this amazing surgery, taking out all the bad juju. Right. But at the same note, the amount of deformity that's left because you've taken out a certain amount of tissue. And then, so then a few years down the road, they go, you know what? That doesn't look so great. Well, now you're back in a bigger damn hole because there was some amount of tissue that was right. basically violated and removed, which had, there was no need to do so. Right. right. Now, uh, your, your points are all well taken. And I think you know, it, I mean, it really is tough. You, you hit on, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, political correctness. I mean, people that know me know that I'm, I'm probably sometimes not very politically correct, you know, but at the same time, I'm not just going to agree with someone because they have a viewpoint. I mean, right. there's a lot of things that I'm not an expert and, you know, and I, and I'm the first to say, you know what, you're right. I, you probably know more about it than I do. The key thing is, is I think right now it's people are more concerned about uh, posturing about making sure that their voice is heard, which I mean, is great. Your voice can be heard, but if you're not saying something that's correct, I mean, is your, is your, is your opinion really that valued? Because really when it comes down to it, it's just that then it's just an opinion, you know, and there's a lot of people over the years that have thought things because it quote makes sense. The earth is flat, you know, the, this and that, I mean, 
it, it's not true. So I do think that we need to we need to step back a little bit. I'm not I'm not saying to be politically incorrect. I'm and I'm not saying to to not listen to opposing viewpoints. Right. But what I'm also saying though is I'm 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 suggesting that I think that there's value in discourse. And the problem is too often in social media has become a very interesting playground and it's become kind of a shouting match. It's whoever can shout the loudest, you know, and it's not fact-based. And, you know, I remember the, I guess the good old days when we actually had a dialogue and now it's more of a monologue. It's, it's basically someone getting on shouting as loud as they want. And if you don't agree with them, they're not going to say, well, let me take that into, into consideration. Let's, let's talk about your point. It's, you're totally wrong. You're a bad person. You must hate me, blah, blah, blah. No, just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I hate you. Not at all. I have plenty of friends. I have a lot of friends with very different political viewpoints that may not agree with me. They're still my friends because it doesn't make them a bad person because they don't agree with me on something. So I think that uh, getting away from this political correctness and in and, and medicine, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's become very, very common now with with the vaccine, should I or shouldn't I, or, you know, is this a, is this a scam? Is this this and politicized? I mean, I have to laugh. I mean, you know, it, it is comical. It's comical. The, the virus, the virus doesn't care if you're gay or straight, male or female, black or white, Jewish, Catholic, whatever. It hates everybody. It's, a, it's an equal opportunity virus. I mean, it look, at, go, look, you know? at its, look at its invasion <laughs> around the world. It's not like right. there's been a single border where no. it's like, oh, not going there. Right. right. I'm like, I, those people I like, you know, I mean, the virus hates everybody. So it's, you know, it's, uh, uh, the virus is kind of like Chris Rock comedy, you know, yeah. Chris Rock's going to poke fun at everybody. I, I love Chris Rock, but that's what the virus, the virus is an equal opportunity, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. So it's, and I think we need to get away from politicizing that, but I, I kind of stirred us off track, but I think that what you were talking about with the, the breast implant illness though, you know, that is something that's a, that's a valid issue. But what concerns me though, is the people within our own industry, as you talked about, you know, the gentleman in your town, I mean, they're monopolizing on it. And you know what? Shame on them. I mean, that's it really, wrong. it's it's unethical. It really yeah, is. Correct. You yeah. know, I what I always tell my patients, I have a, I have a saying, um, I'm not afraid to spend your money, but I'm going to spend it wisely. You know, right. so in other words, there are a lot of people that come in. I'm sure it's the same thing in your practice. Any good plastic surgeon or any good physician, for that matter, is going to have to use one of the most important words in, in medical language. It's called the word no. Scott Spear right. taught me that. And he said, you know, they're the one word that we need to learn as plastic surgeons to tell our patients the word no. And, you know, say, we're not going to do this for you. And so no matter what the patients read, if someone comes in and says, I demand to have this procedure, my comment is, no, it's not, it's not going to happen. Well, I'll pay you more. It's not about the money. It's not about the money. It's about our ethical responsibility. You can, you can get highfalutin and talk about the Hippocratic Oath and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, really what it comes down to is golden rule. You know, if, you know, if, 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 if I was treating, if someone was treating my mother, for example, or one of my family members, what would I want them to do for that family member? I do that the same thing for my patients. You know, it's right. ultimately, you know, that's the golden rule. I mean, it doesn't, it's not about me getting sued or not sued or what have you. I mean, it, not that I want to get sued, but after a while, you're kind of like, well, it's a numbers game. It's really at the end of the day, when it comes down to, to uh, to uh, retire and to hang up, you know, my practice, so to speak, 
have I always looked at the best patient's interest in, in, in mind? Have I always kept those in mind? You know, what has been the guiding force? And ultimately, I mean, that's the fun of it. If you, if you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, I'm making the right decision. They're not based upon money. They're not based upon fame. They're based upon what I think is the right thing to do. And, and what I'll emphasize too, is what we think is right is not always right. So, you know, many of us have made errors, but ultimately we've had the patient's best interest in mind. Right. If you do that, then I think that's a sign of a good physician. Can you, it's called the, can you sleep at night test? Right. Yeah. Right. If you can, if you get, and the other, there's two questions. Can I sleep at night? Right. And if I had to do it all over again with the same information, would I make the same decision? Right. You know, and it's, it's, it's like the same things you probably learned in elementary school. I mean, it doesn't really change that far beyond that. It's, it's funny what you just said, because it, I mean, it's true. I mean, we, you know, we get all these advanced degrees and so forth. And really, it all comes down to the basics. You know, I mean, it's not, you know, just because we have multiple degrees doesn't mean that we, we, we think in a little different manner than when we didn't have all these degrees, but ultimately what it comes down to is again, the basics. It's yeah. like you said, you know, would I do it all over again? Am I looking at the patient's best interest in mind? And can I look at myself in the mirror? The mirror test I think is, is critical because, you know, ultimately there are going to be times when we make the wrong decisions, but we did it with good intent and I'm not right. just find bad outcomes, but you know, it's, it's hard to, I, I do, I do a moderate amount of uh, medical malpractice. So, you know, what I look at when I look at cases is, you know, things happen, complications happen. The best, the best surgeon, I always say that the only surgeons that they don't get complications are one, they don't operate two, they lie. <laughs> that's, <laughs> so that's, a, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Exact same thing that I say, because I have this little thing and it's like, you know, you end up saying the same thing over and over again. Right. And so I do a lot of facial rejuvenation surgery. So, you know, talking about a facelift and I'm like, okay, here's the anatomy. We got the facial nerve that's here. This is the statistical risk for that. Um, and then a hematoma. And I'm like, okay, this is the statistical risk. And this is what the risk is in my practice, you know, and right. I, it's not zero, you know, right. and, it, and anyone telling you that the risk of a hematoma is zero, they're either lying or haven't done enough, one or the other. Right. Right. I mean, it's, you know, everyone's going to get complicated. Well, you don't want to go to someone who gets a lot of complications, but you know, the other thing as well too, is, you know, a sign of a good physician or, you know, the sign of a good person in general is when something happens, one, they can diagnose it. And two, they stand behind you. You know, I mean, there's, you know, there's, I've, I've had complications, not, you know, not a ton of them, but I've had my complications. And, you know, I think, I don't think it gets any easier. I mean, I, I, maybe I sleep a little bit better, but you know, I still stay awake at night when I, when I get that phone call, I'm like, oh shoot, I got a, got a hematoma. You know, no one ever goes, oh, no big deal. I'll just right. turn the on-call guy. No one ever says that. When you no. get to that point, it's probably best to, to retire and just hang up the, you know, hang it up. But, you know, ultimately if you care, that's a sign of a, of a good anyone in any industry. And that's, and that's really something that, you know, when it does start faltering that you have to kind of reassess what, what your goals are. I mean, are you really, are you in it for the right reason? Right. I mean, those are excellent points. So what I'll, I have one question. So Keely told me about the boob job Bible. Tell me <laughs> about this. So first of all, that was, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's, you know, obviously a very clever uh, title. I would love to take uh, um, responsibility for that, but that was actually a team, team effort. So I had a number of people working on it with me and, I ran around. I had a number of ideas in terms of, you know, uh, what I wanted to call it. 
So we all voted and came up with a boob job Bible. But you know what I wanted is I wanted I'm I like serious text, but I wanted to create a more consumer text. I wanted to create a consumer text that was that was friendly and that was something that that a woman could look at and say, you know what, this is really helpful. These are all the questions that, you know, that, that I really need to know. I mean, you know, we have a whole list, what you should ask your plastic surgeon, you know, what you, uh, pearls and pitfalls, you know, what you should watch out for if your plastic surgeon does this. These are all the behind the scenes that a lot of people don't know. And so what I wanted to do is prepare essentially a guidebook, you know, that was not, uh, uh, you know, self-absorbent or anything like that. I mean, you won't find there about, you know, there'll be a little accolades about me, but it, it's really not about me. I mean, the whole book is, it's more of a tongue-in-cheek, a fun, playful look at, at breast enhancement and something that anybody can look at and say, you know what, I think this is great in helping me be prepared for my procedure. I mean, you can do the same thing for facelifts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you a really- have a little book about it, yeah. Cool, yeah, and that's, I think it's, I think it's very important and I, in People will talk about, I've had people say, well, you know, you really, uh, you're really good at dumbing this down. I'm not trying to dumb it down because that's, that's suggesting that your patients are not as smart. It's not that at all. It's, it's actually, what I talk about is, you know, it, it's kind of cocktail talk. You know, think about when you're at a cocktail party and someone asks you something about a facelift, you know, you're not going to say, well, according to the, the SMAS layer and blah, 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 blah. You're not going to do that. You know, you're going to actually, you're going to put it in terms that they can readily understand. And you're not dumbing it down. You're making it easier to understand for someone that doesn't have the background. Right. So that's what I did with Boob Job Bible. And we've had, we've had a ton of downloads. I mean, it's, you know, people come in and say, I've seen this book. It's great. I mean, we're probably stupid because we, you know, we don't, we don't charge people for it. It's like complimentary downloads, but you know. On your website? It's on my website. Yeah. It's on All my right, website. I'll put a link up to it. So at the yeah. end of this, I'll tag it up and I'll Thank put you. a link up to it. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, for me, it's kind of a public service thing. It's, you know, I want, ultimately, I want consumers to go in and ask the right questions because the challenge in what we do, I mean, there are dentists doing facelifts. You know, there's no disrespect to dentists. A lot of my friends are dentists. No, I know. There are dentists doing, uh, doing breast dogs. I mean, there's it's- There's a family practitioner doing breast dogs. Okay. Uh, it scares the hell out of me. I mean, you know, anybody watching this too, don't, don't, I mean, go to someone that is well-trained and focused. I, I, I say the other thing too is, you know, don't go to the person that does everything. I always have to laugh when I, I see the rankings of plastic surgery or the, not the rankings, but like the advertisements and, and, you know, you'll see that they do 30 different things. They do all this stuff. Jack of all trades, master of none. I mean, it really is. But, you know, but even worse now are the cosmetic surgeons. And these are, I mean, those just drive me crazy because, you know, they'll say, well, you know, yeah, I'm a, I'm a cosmetic surgeon. No, really? What is your background? I'm a cosmetic surgeon. Okay. That doesn't exist. What's your real background? Right. Well, I, well, I'm a, I'm an internist. Oh, really? So that means that before you started doing breast talks, you had zero surgical Surgical training. And now suddenly you're operating in the chest wall and you have, and you have no training. Oh, well, what could go wrong? Well, a lot a lot so, you know yeah. and so it's and the, and the problem is is that we're thought of when i talk to people about that we're thought of as just greedy it's like well no you just don't want someone capitalizing on it. no it's um, i want people that are well trained there are things called residency programs fellowships that were put there for a reason so you could actually learn with a specified goals objectives and a, and attain a certain degree of competency 
in what you're doing and, and getting that in a weekend course, it doesn't happen. And when you're looking over someone's shoulder for, for three months, I mean, I love that one. Well, you know, I trained with Dr. So-and-so. Oh, really? So what was your hands on? Oh, nothing. But I looked over the shoulder for three months. Oh, really? I'm sure that really, really helped you a lot. So it really, you know, to anyone, whether it's a facelift, uh, a nose job, rhinoplasty, anything. Every specialty, every specialty has their, I mean, it's, we all go to training for a significant amount of time. I mean, let's leave it. I'm, I'm going to take it one step further. It's not just the surgical procedures. I mean, even right. certain things like injectables, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm a member of this group. Um, it's a Facebook group called the Physician Dads Group, mostly for humor. Okay. There's a lot of humor that goes on there. But some of the stuff is, and I'm going to say this, it's downright scary. Okay. Mm -hmm. There is a, a physician, again, names are being withheld, non-surgeon, okay, who says, I want to make more money, okay? Mm -hmm. And I, all my friends have med spas. So I, where do I get training to inject fillers? Because I think it's a good gig to make extra money. <laughs> okay, I mean, never, I mean, this is, he's a gastroenterologist. Right. Okay, and th there's more and more of this. And I think part of this is that, you know, when we put out our results, we put out our videos or whatever these things, it's almost like we make it look too easy sometimes that everybody thinks that they can do right. it. Right, right. Well, know? you know, I'll even, I'll go one step further to do it yourself. Yeah. To do it yourself. I mean, we're, I mean, we're fixing, I can't tell you how many, how many bads. So I do, I do a lot of injectables in my office. Um, I have a PA and also too, I medically direct a number of, uh, number of med spots here in Denver. I can't tell you how many people now we're seeing on a, on a weekly basis that, you know, have either gone to someone that's inexperienced, um, they've, or they've done it themselves. They've done vascular occlusion. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, we're one step away from seeing people with blindness. I mean, people are injecting crazy stuff. A good example, I just posted on uh, social media about a week or so ago about a case that we had with a hyalopin. Hyalopin is that, you know, is that yep. uh, pen that basically injects hyaluronic acid you get off uh, Amazon and so forth. It injects hyaluronic acid to, with, with pressure to an unknown depth. Well, what could go wrong with that? <laughs> a lot. So we saw someone with an occlusion of her lip. It was starting to necrose. She had gone on and the lip was firm. It was hard as a rock. It's the craziest thing in the world. But the problem is consumers are thinking, well, you know, it's, it's an easy way to get into it. Same thing with a lot of people wanting to get into, you know, the injection business. I mean, the first thing that I do, and I, and I run a training institute, and I make sure I vet people. In Denver, Colorado, if you have a medical director, I mean, literally, you can be the front desk person, and you can inject, believe mm -hmm. it or not. Same in I mean, Texas. It scares, is that same thing in Texas? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it scares the hell out of me. I mean, it's whoever, and, I, and I've, I've contacted the, the uh, state health board and said, look, you guys, I've been on so many uh, high-level complications panels with Allergan, with Galderma, with MERS, all these guys. And I'm like, I know this stuff that can happen. You know, and it's not that people shouldn't be injecting, but the problem is, is that there needs to be some regulation in terms of who can do what. And when you know what they look at it as, they look at it as, well, it's just a turf battle, which is absolutely ludicrous. I mean, I, I did general surgery residency and I rotated in neurosurgery. I, I can tell you no time soon am I going to be opening up a neurosurgery clinic just because I spent a little time on a rotation. Right. I wouldn't do it. 
you know, but people are opening up plastic surgery practices. And what gets me is they call them plastic surgery practices. And the media, when something happens, they go, plastic surgery gone wrong. Right. No, it's not. It's not plastic surgery because it wasn't done by a plastic surgeon. It, it's kind of like that. Um, who is that? That was a very famous lady. I think she went down to the Dominican Republic or something like that. Um, a family member. And this one clinic had like four fatalities within, I think, a three or four month period. You know, non-board certified anesthesiologists outside the country. I mean, the list kept going on and on and right. on and on. Right. And you're right. So the, the thing is plastic surgery nightmare, you know, right. and there's not this other side that goes, do you know the amount of credentialing that goes through, you know, actually running a real OR and doing a, a, a credentialed OR, AAA or quad A OR. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just a, Hey, let's just go operate. Um, the other day, uh, this was about three weeks ago. I had a friend, I was operating at the surgery center and there's only two rooms, my room and the other room that was going. And it's a, a good friend of mine. He's an excellent general surgeon. I mean, he has treated several members of my family. Okay. Um, have nothing but the highest regard for him doing a laparoscopic cholecystectomy, right? This is something that you should probably, if you're a general surgeon, this is something you do day in, bread, bread, day and, butter. Out, bread and butter you know, right hand, I mean, I'm making a joke at this point for anyone out there who wants to open a general surgery clinic, you should be able to do it with your right hand tied behind your back type of thing. Right. Um, appropriate patient selection. I mean, everything is above board. Okay. I finished my case and the nurse from the other room comes in and says, would you please go into the other room? And I'm like, you know, that, that's a question mark, like, you know, with that arm, you know, so you walk in and he says, I really need another set of hands, okay? Um, I could really, there's not another, there's no one else here. There's only the, the anesthesiologist that I, I would really appreciate if you glove up, I need another set of hands. Right, right. Hold the camera, need, okay, holding the camera. And I'm looking at the camera and there's just blood, okay? There's just blood. And I was like, okay, you know, so your heart rate's going up a little bit. And so finally what, what had happened is there was a small nick in the hepatic artery. And it was a pretty uncontrolled amount of bleeding. So it ended up doing basically a laparotomy, opened yeah. it up in order to find the bleeder. And it really kind of, you know, there's that point where you sit there at the end and you're going through M&M and you go, even the bread and butter cases, you know, there right. is complications and you can right. get those. And, I'm, and this is, and this is nothing that he did incorrectly. He didn't do anything. Bad. It just it's one of those things. If you, you know, it's kind of like saying I'm driving a car, you're going to get into a car accident at some point, even right. being the safest of drivers. Right. And um, this is, if I could leave those guys that want to open these clinics up going, you know, and when that does happen, who are you going to call? Right. There's a great, I'm sure you've heard this very, 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 very common statement made by anesthesiologists. You know, anesthesia is 99% boredom and 1% sheer terror. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think that's, that's surgery as well, too. I mean, you know, sometimes you get into bleeding, for example. I mean, that's, that's probably the scariest. And you're like, okay, this is sphincter tightening. I mean, it really is. I mean, it doesn't matter how many years you have under your belt. I think that the more years you have, I mean, you, you learn to kind of relax, take a deep breath, you know, kind of assess the situation. Right. You, know, you, you put your emotions aside, you don't panic. But 
it's, I mean, surgery is surgery. And like you said, I mean, the, the smallest of things, I mean, filler, good example. I mean, you can go blind, you can go blind with filler. I mean, and that's not just making it up. There's a, there's a number of, of, you know, solid reports of that. My fear is it's going to become more, more common because more and more people are doing it that really shouldn't be doing it. I mean, that's why I opened a training institute. I mean, I really, I vet out who I'm training. Um, you know, I work with good products. I teach people, one of the, the most important things I teach people is, um, you know, we teach business and all that kind of stuff, but what we open with is anatomy. Mm-hmm. It's all about anatomy. It's all about knowing why you're doing what you're doing, where you're doing it. And it's, you know, really, really having a, a vested interest in understanding, you know, the, the, the physiology and, and understanding, you know, where the muscles are and all that kind of stuff. The challenges a lot of courses have, it's all about the pattern. It's, you know, if you're going to do Botox, you do filler. How do I inject it? Well, what do you mean? What, how do I inject it? Well, I just want to know how to inject it. The problem with that is, I mean, you know, that's kind of like dr- learning to drive in a straight line. Sooner or later, you're going to have to take a right or a left turn. Mm-hmm. If you just learned to, to hold on to the wheel, you don't understand that. So you've got to be fast and learn to think out of the box, kind of rounding it out to what we were talking about before is you learn from your prior experiences. You learn about the anatomy, you learn all these things. But unfortunately, the, the almighty dollar has, has created a uh, kind of an influx of people into the field, especially in elective surgery, because, I mean, it, it can be lucrative. I mean, we can, you can make a good living. The problem is, is that it hasn't always attracted the best and the brightest. Right. It's or just some, sometimes it's just the people that want to have a great business and this look like a good venture to go into. So, Well, we can't solve the world's problems tonight. Maybe tomorrow. Yeah, we'll work on it. We won't give up, though. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, it was an absolute pleasure. Hey, I'd love to be on again. You've got a great great podcast, and uh, I think that was a lot of fun.